Well, today is the second week of our uh, harvest series, where we're taking some time to focus on what ought to be the most exciting and rewarding activity that any one of us will ever engage in as followers of Jesus. I honestly, that's not hype. I honestly believe that. Helping other people discover what we have discovered. If you know Jesus, you have something that people who don't know Jesus don't have. And we get this incredible opportunity on earth to help other people discover what we've discovered. That God is a great and a wonderful God who loves to forgive and he loves to bless people who come to know him and to follow his leadership. And we get to share this, that it is great to be a child of God. And can you think of anything more exciting to do in your life than to help somebody else come to life? You talked about the Packers today. It might be good to go to a Packers. I've been to a bunch of Packers. Matter of fact, I've been to three Monday night Packer Bear games at Lambeau. So anybody else can beat that? Three different Monday night Packer Bear Lambeau Field, the premier football game in the NFL every year that everybody in the world wants to go to. I've been to three of them. It's that's nothing compared to being an agent of God and helping somebody discover the fact that God loves them, that he wants to forgive them, that they come into a right relationship with them, that he meet, they meet Jesus, and you watch before your very eyes as God, by the Holy Spirit, transforms them into something else. They go from being, in essence, from being a, 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 a slug, a caterpillar, to being a butterfly. They, they get transformed for, into something, from something that crawls in the dirt to flies with God. That's what we get to do. That's what salvation is all about. We get to share that with people. And so our theme verse for this, for this four-week um, harvest series is this. It's in John chapter 4, verse 35. Last week we read the whole chapter that it was in. But for today, just the theme verse. The theme verse says this. And I want you to, to read it with me. That's why I put it up here. So it's, it's in the trans, one common translation. And so let's read it together. It says this. Start with this. Do not say, there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, that they are white for harvest. That's our theme verse for today. Don't say that it's something out there. Don't say it's something yet to come. Jesus is telling us a truth that's different than maybe you believe and different than the devil wants you to believe. He's saying it's harvest time now. And I want us as a church to be fully engaged in, the, in this most exciting dimension of Christianity. Last week, as we started this series, we looked at this verse and the story around it, and we focused on the heart of those who are to be engaged in the harvest work of bringing people to Jesus. We looked at what, what we kind of looked at a mirror. I was actually going to have a mirror up here and say, take a look in the mirror. Um, but we looked at, at, at ourselves, basically, in a mirror and said, what's a heart of a harvester look like? And we found that at the heart of the issue lies the unshakable belief that all people matter to God. We focus a lot on that, on all people. We said something that would make sense around here, wouldn't make sense anybody else, anywhere else maybe, but we'd say from North Shore Nancy, and we all know what that means, from North Shore Nancy to pants falling off, rap loving, inner city youth, all people matter to God. And if we are in a right spiritual condition in our lives, really being connected to the Lord, then what naturally occurs is that all people matter 
to us. Now, upon that foundation of understanding what our heart should be, um, over the next few weeks, I said, I told you that I'm going to begin to give you some tools that you can very practically use to be more effective at bringing in a harvest, of helping you help other people meet Jesus. When I got done speaking last week, somebody approached me at the platform and hugged me. And just sit there and hugged me and hugged me and said, thank you. And I said, for what? They said, for, for saying you're going to help me have tools that I need to be able to tell other people about Christ. I said, I want to do that, but I'm not exactly sure how. Well, that's what I want to try to help with over these next couple of weeks. And so that's what I want to begin with today. And so I want to begin today like I did last week by giving you or telling you another harvest story. Now, last week, the harvest story that I told you was the woman at the well. We read it from Scripture, and we looked at this harvest story. We drew some truths out of that harvest story. But the harvest story that I want to tell you this week to start our service with that we'll draw some truths out of is not a story written in the pages of Scripture, but it's written in the pages of my life and Suzanne's life. And it's just an experience I had, one particular experience, over a period of time with one person that eventually came to know Jesus. So I want to tell you this harvest story. And some of you have heard bits and pieces of this story um, over the years, because I stand up here and talk all the time, so you get to know my stories. But for some of you, you don't know this. But I, it's an it's a, it's appropriate story for right now. See, a number of years ago, when my boys were really small, um, we, we moved to the area, and um, to, to a new town, and, and we, our kids didn't have any friends, and we had to figure out what to do. And, and so we decided that the thing we should do is that we should get Josh, because he was old enough, Brett wasn't, we should get Josh involved in Cub Scouts. And so we found a local Cub Scout, uh, Cub Scout troop, and we got him involved in Cub Scouts because we wanted him to, to make some new friends. And, uh, you know, I did what any good dad should do. Um, I became a leader of Cub Scouts. So I had to wear all the, the cool little uniforms and have all the little patches. I had to study and earn stuff so I could have the patches and, and do all this stuff. And I went to all the leadership meetings. And, and I, honestly, i got to admit, I was there for my son. I didn't really enjoy wearing a uniform. I didn't really enjoy going to the meetings. Not like I hated them, but I would have rather done something else, if I'm honest. And you know what? I really didn't want to be there all the time with a bunch of boys who a lot of times were incredibly rambunctious and and hard to manage and helping them do things like build wind chimes and and build race cars and, and all that kind of stuff. Now, it was to a point fun, but really it was just I did it because I was doing it for my son. And as we got involved, we met other boys and other dads and other moms, because we did find it was a very family thing, usually Cub Scouts and, girls, um, and, and Brownies and then Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts, and that that was a, a family thing. So we met a bunch of other families who, like us, were in it for their boys. They really didn't want to be there either, I don't think. You know, they had other things they could have done on Tuesday night, but they wanted their boys to have the best, so they got involved. And, and not long into our time um, with the Cub Scout families, we met uh, a family, and I met one of the dads in particular, because this was Cub Scouts, so it was, it was mainly the men getting together um, for the actual nights. And I met one of the other boys and the, and the fathers, and I just really liked the dad. He was just a really cool guy. I liked him. I identified with a lot of the hobbies he had, and we liked each other, and we were right about exactly the same age. And, and our boys became best friends. And so they went to school together, and they became very good friends. And when I met this guy, I just had this sense inside of me, and I really believed it was from the Holy Spirit, that God wanted me to connect with this guy 
for spiritual reasons. So I knew from just talking to them that they really didn't have a, a active faith. They did go to a church, but they really didn't have an, an active faith. At least there was no evidence of, of really living a Christian life. And, and, uh, and I just, there was this booming voice. It wasn't like God was thundering out of heaven, stopped me, grabbed me by the arms and shook me and said, Mark, this is somebody you're supposed to reach. But this something inside of my, in my heart, inside my mind said, uh, connect with this guy for spiritual reasons. So of all the families and all the things, there's a lot of families, this was the one guy that I really began to, to build a relationship with. And that relationship on purpose, and, and he didn't know it, but I knew it, the reason for it, I wanted to build that relationship beyond our, our relationship centered around boys and Cub Scouts. So, so we just began to, 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 to be friends. And so I initiated things. I can honestly say I don't think they ever initiated anything um, at first. And so I began to initiate things, and I found out that the guy liked to fish. And so if anybody knows me at all, I like to fish. And, uh, and, so, um, and so I, uh, I said, hey, you want to go fishing sometime? And he goes, oh, yeah, I like to fish. And I actually found out, we weren't even living here, but I found out he lived, grew up in Port Washington. And I said, man, I'm learning how to salmon fish. He goes, well, I've salmon fished my whole life. So we began to fish together. We spent a lot of time just standing out all by ourselves, out on a break wall in the middle of the, you know, get up at oh dark 30 and pitch black. And my wife was like, you're insane. I can't believe you do this stuff. And it'd be raining out and sleeting out. And we'd get up, get dressed and go out and go fishing and, and catch some fish. And, and, uh, you know, and so we began to build this relationship. And I found out that the couple, they like to play cards. And so they finally set up the relationship began to build. Do you guys want to play cards with us? Well, if you know anything about Suzanne and I, we don't, I'm not opposed to it, but we just never played cards. So Susanna, little secret, she, she grew up in a house that thought that if cards had real cards, that they were, they were bad. So she wasn't allowed to play cards. Well, I didn't grow up like that, and she had grown past that. And, uh, and so they invited us to play cards. Well, here's the deal. I don't like to play cards. Not, not because there's anything wrong with it. I stink at it. I'm no good at it because I get bored so fast when we're playing cards, and especially the kind of cards they wanted to play. I grew up playing sheephead as a kid. That's all right. I like that game. Um, but uh, they played, I forget what games they were, but they were super fast-paced where you had to think real fast and throw these cards down, and I got beat every time. And it's like, this is terrible. Suzanne likes to play a card game with me that she got for the, when the kids were little called Blink. Everybody ever played Blink? Blink is this card game that you have different colors and different, is it even numbers? I forget. But you got to... You've got to lay one down so like there's yellow and there's dogs and there's everything. And whatever they are, you've got to match something on that card. So your brain's got to go super fast and you've got to take a card out of your hand. Well, she is out of cards every time. I don't have one card in my hand. She's going, and I hate those games. My brain doesn't work that fast. I'm an external auditory processor. I talk things through to figure out what's going on. And so, so we're playing cards, you know what? And so we go over there and I'd get my butt kicked. Well, if you know me at all, I'm a fairly competitive person. I don't like to get beat all the time, you know, but I just, I'm just not a card player. But it was no big deal. We'd go and we'd have a blast and we'd play cards, even though I really never told them. But I don't like to do this because I'm really bad at playing these cards and you guys stomp on me every time and that's part of my ego. And so, so uh, in time, as we began to build this friendship and the friendship became, you know, we became really good friends with this family and it really was centered on Cub Scouts, but we came it began to broaden beyond that. And we began to very carefully and strategically bring up spiritual matters. And we found that with this family, every time we brought up spiritual matters, there was quite a bit of resistance. They would push, close the door. Just, I kind of look at it this way. I always think of it, there's a door. 
And I begin to push the door open when it comes to spiritual matters. And if the door, if they push back at all, I just walk away. A lot of people try to push the door open. Well, you're going to talk to me. Well, you don't ever win that way um, or rarely win that way. And so we'd find if there was resistance, we'd just let it go and just keep being their friends. Now, listen to this. After a number of years, years, um, we built this friendship. And in time, our son Josh decided he wanted to quit Cub Scouts. He didn't like it anymore. He was getting bored with it, and I understood I had been bored with it for the whole time. And, uh, and I know one regard, I was really happy. I'm like, woohoo, he wants to quit. You ever have your kid's part of something, and they finally want to quit, and you're like, thank God, you know, <laughs> I can get out of this thing. But uh, he wanted to quit, but I just believed that God had something for this guy, this dad. And so we wouldn't let Josh quit. And he wanted to quit, and we said, no, you can't. And uh, when we, of course, we didn't really say why. I think we actually did, but we also said, you made a commitment, you've got to stay with it until the end of the program. And so he was kind of trying to quit midstream, and so we didn't let Josh quit. So for over four years, we built that relationship. We eventually, after almost four years, probably three and a half years, almost pushing four, we invited them to a church Christmas program that we were doing. And uh, they came, first time they ever had come to church. And they came, and it was a drama that I had written and directed, and, uh, and, and it was uh, uh, um, called The Voices of Christmas. And they came to it, and they liked it, I think, but um, they never really said a word. And we're like, oh, this is, this, well, what, you know, give it a real clear explanation of the gospel at the end, and they never really responded. And so we just kept the relationship on. But, but we could f- figure out with this relationship that if we talked about spiritual matters, it was, it was getting easier. And so then finally, right about the time that we were ready to literally move out of the area, you know, pack our bags and move, they came to church and kind of unannounced came to church. Matter of fact, I wasn't even at church. And they came to church and they gave their lives to Christ. And they're serving the Lord faithfully to this point. Friends, that's a harvest story. It's a harvest story. Now, And I believe this. I believe it's the kind of story that God wants every single one of you to be involved in. Because I'm going to show you some tools out of this, but I want to make a point first. There was not one thing in there of the whole story that I said that had anything to do with Bible college training, vocation as a minister. Matter of fact, when I'm evangelizing people, trying to build, I never tell them I'm a pastor. Because that ruins it right off the bat. They just, uh, you know, of course, they start talking about world peace or whatever. And, you know, they were cussing a second earlier. So I try to never let them know that's what I am. Now, these people did know because they, they have, their families are connected. They knew what we all did for jobs. Um, but this story, um, over four years, was something that anybody could be engaged in. It was something that was engaged by both of us as a couple. It was a family, a family understanding. Our kids understood the objective. We talked about openly about it. We prayed about, about, about this. It was something that anybody can be engaged in. Now, what I want to do today for you, I'm going to use this story as a baseline. And I've, from this story, I want to show you four, we're going to give you tools every week, but I'm going to give you four tools today that are important tools that you will need to become more effective at bringing in a harvest. In other words, and, I, and I, the, attempt to, the, the hard part of saying harvest is that we look at it it's like it's, it's um, cold and calculated. You take a harvester through a field, you know, a, a combine. No, it's not it. So engage in helping people discover 
that Jesus loves them and finding forgiveness through him. That I want to give you some tools to help you do that better so that they can come. So you can sit like me and say, you know, and you can say that family and that family and that family and that family and that family. You realize all these families, they come to know Christ. And you were a key player in the, in the equation. You go, wow, their whole family line has changed for eternity. And God would use a person like me who stinks at cards, you know. Um, so four tools. And these are the four tools. I'm going to tell you them and I'm going to explain them. So the four tools we're going to look at today are our relationship, the Holy Spirit's leading, unique style, and time. And I'm going to explain those. We'll start with the first one is, is, is relationship. So relationship, the Holy Spirit's leading, your unique style, and time. So let's start with relationship. And I'll, we'll go through all of these. So relationship. Think about this. It's Saturday morning. You're sitting at your house with your family. Maybe your family is you and your kids. Maybe you're empty nesters and your family is, is just two of you. You're drinking coffee. You've been busy all week long. None of you are busy, right? You don't work hard. Yeah. So you're busy. You work hard. It's Saturday morning. You're drinking your cup of coffee. You're in your sweatpants and your T-shirt. And, uh, you know, you're, you're talking to each other. You're enjoying the time. And all of a sudden, there's a knock on your door. And one of the people in the family looks out the door and they see, and standing at your front door are two very nice young men with white shirts and black pants, a tie, and a little badge always on this side, in this pocket, and it says, Elder So-and-so. And they're coming door to door and they're there to, to talk to you about your spiritual life. Now here's my question for you. Do you get all excited and begin to pour out your heart to these two very nice and polite guys, um, do you say, oh, I'm so excited. I've been waiting for those guys to interrupt my breakfast, take away my time from my, with my wife so that I can talk to a couple strangers about my spiritual life. Or does it happen like this? Hey, there's some Mormons at the door. I ain't getting it. You get it. I'm not going to do it. And everybody scatters and they let dad alone to have to open the door. Come on. Who, you know how it happens. I ain't getting the door. You get the door. I'm not getting the door. No, I got the door last time. You get the door. And that's what happens in your house, isn't it? Right? You know it's true because that's what happens in my house. And I need to get it. I remember one time being at my brother's house. I was visiting. And I lived out in the country. And a couple of people drive down their driveway and knock on the door. And my niece, my, my, it was a duplex, and it, my brother owns it. And my, my, at that time, my parents were in the middle of something, so they lived in the downstairs. My brother lived in the upstairs. I'm just visiting, and my nieces were there. And my niece runs out, Uncle Mark, Uncle Mark, you've got to talk to these people. Everyone else scatters. I'm like, I'm the visitor. So what I did is I started singing as loud as I could. There's power in the blood, that old hymn. There is power, power, wonder working power in the blood. You know, and, and I just started singing that. And when I got to the door, they ran into their cars and they left. And... Uh, <laughs> It was pretty funny. So, 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 you know what? And I'm not, I'm not disrespecting these people. I, you know what? Here's the one thing. If we were as devoted to reaching lost people as they are, the world would be changed. The problem is that a lot of those things believe false things about Jesus. But if we were as devoted as them, now I think there's technique. We're going to talk about technique. I don't think is right. But it is effective at times. Um, and so anyways, 
I don't enjoy that when it happens on Saturday morning. And I don't think you do. Now let me ask you another question. If you need advice about a serious matter in your life, you need to make a big decision. It's important. You've got a bad diagnosis from the doctor. You need to know what to do. You, you've had a financial problem, a crisis. You need to talk to somebody. What do I do? You've got a problem in a relationship, a child issue or a spousal issue. You know, and you have this serious matter in your life. Who do you talk to about it? Do you walk into the grocery store, you go to Pick and Save or Piggly Wiggly, and there's a strange lady, not that she's strange, but she's a stranger, and she's checking out, and you just say to her, ma'am, I know we don't know each other, but um, I would like to ask you, the doctor told me this, what do you think I should do? You know, do you discuss it with the lady at the checkout line, or do you drive to someone's house or get on the phone or come to church? And talk to somebody that you know and you trust, a close friend. I'm sure the answer is um, you'll discuss it with a close friend. Now, here's why I'm bringing these questions up. People don't generally feel comfortable discussing personal matters with people that they have, do not have an established relationship with. That's true about their finances, it's true about their relationships. And it's very true about their faith. So probably the most important tool that you need for being an effective harvester is relationship. Intentional building of relationships with people who don't yet know Jesus. You need to develop good relationships with people who you know don't yet know Christ. Like I did with the father in the Cub Scouts, family, a real relationship where you really care about the person. And hear this. You really care about the person even if they never give their life to Christ. Where you really care about that person. We're supposed to be filled with love. If we keep the commandments, what do we do? We love God first and we love our neighbor as ourselves. We love everybody else. And so you simply put that into practice. And I want you to hear this today because we're talking about evangelism. Outreach, reaching people for Christ. The impersonal approaches that, that really did work 25 years ago don't really work anymore. Oh, at least I say this, they rarely work. This confrontational style of evangelism where you go and you just confront a, a pretty much stranger, almost stranger, with serious matters about their eternity and their faith. It almost doesn't work. And here's why. As people in our culture have gotten further and further from their Christian roots. And who knows we're not becoming more Christian in America, less Christian. That they are more unclear about what they believe. They're more unclear about what is true and false. They hear all the media telling them all this stuff that is actually absolutely contrary to biblical truth. So they're completely confused. They're unclear about what's true and false. And they are less, so therefore they are less and less comfortable talking to anyone, especially people that they don't know about matters of faith. They have no reason to want to trust you if you're a stranger over a matter that they're very confused about anyways. And if we are going to impact our world for Christ, the most effective approach um, will be through friendships with those who need to be reached. Now, here's what I found about this church in particular, about Portview. Find that, you know what? You people are people who care. 
It's on our sign out front. You can't come here if you don't care. <laughs> or you can't come here and stay here long and not become a person who cares. Because that's who we are, we're people who care. We are a friendly group of people, so we know how to be friendly. Matter of fact, I'm having to change how we do our greeting because you're so friendly that it goes on so long and it's so loud that you're actually scaring people who are new at times, you know? And so we're, we're, we're experimenting with that. You're friendly. I never, I said, we were talking about some staff meeting about the greeting time. I said, let's not be upset. No, no one would be unhappy saying their people are too friendly. I said, that's not a problem. We just have to direct it differently. It says, we're a friendly group of people. Well, church, listen. The key to harvest is tying that friendliness into building relationships with people who don't yet know Jesus. So you join a sporting club or you join some, some activity, whether it's Cub Scouts or it's volleyball or it's whatever, or you go to the same coffee shop all the time because they have the best lattes, whatever. You go to some place, but you remember the main reason you are really there always is to build good relationships. You're not there to compete first. You're not there to play first. You're not there to enjoy the food first. Those are all important things. As a matter of fact, play to win and be great at whatever you do. I think, that's, I think that's wonderful. But you always have a higher purpose than whatever that activity is. So you go to the same restaurant all the time with the same waitress all the time, and you make sure you wait. No, I'll wait till I get a booth over there all the time for one reason, so you can just build a bond with a person that somehow in your heart you're saying, that person needs a bond built with them for Jesus. And you just keep going back and back and back and back and back, and you keep being the, the, the reality of Christ. You keep being loving. You build a bond. It's not really ever about the food. It's not really about the sport. It's all about people. You have to get that into your mind, that that is why you live and breathe, that God only has given you air in your lungs to stay on earth so that when you live and breathe, you can influence people for him. It's the only reason you can worship in heaven. He doesn't need us here to do this. He needs us here to reach others. So when we, we build relationships with non-believers, when building relationships with non-believers becomes a high priority for you, it will change everything about the way you live. You'll approach every event. You'll choose to do some things and you'll reject other things. You say, I don't have time for that. You'll go to certain places all because you're saying, I want to live in a way where I put a high priority on building relationships with people who don't know Christ. And when I promise you this, when that transition takes place within your heart and your mind, suddenly now you're living on an exciting mission with God. It changes your life. You recognize that everything you do, you're on mission with God. And you're looking all the time for who Jesus wants to connect you to. And you, you're, you, that changes everything about your lifestyle. So you look, you're walking with eyes wide open. God, what do you have? Now that brings us to the second tool. And it's this. As you have that heart, that eye, wide open eyes, you then, tool number two, you're open to the Holy Spirit's leading. This isn't some cold, callous, calculated thing we do based on numbers. If I talk to X amount of people about Christ, X amount of people will come say, kind of like selling insurance. It's a numbers game. This isn't what this is. That's empty and that's religion. God has something more, dead religion. 
It's about the Holy Spirit's leading. Remember when I told you the story of my scout friend who got saved? And I said in the beginning, I had a sense that God wanted me to connect with this guy. And it was so strong that when Josh wanted to quit Cub Scouts, we said, no, you can't because we believe that, that God brought us together to connect with this, with this person. And that person didn't know Christ. And we just felt, no, we're supposed to stay in relationship. And we felt it so strongly that when, that when Josh said he wanted to, to quit, we said, no, you can't quit because we're going to stay connected to this relationship. Friends, that little voice that said that, that little voice, that little gut feeling that said, you're supposed to be in relationship with this guy, that little voice that makes you aware of that person or brings them to mind at, at, at times that don't make sense. There's times we've building relationships with people, and Susanna will say, I think we really need to go to this restaurant right now just to see that waitress. And we'll go, well, we're planning on doing this. And I think we're supposed to. You know what we do? We've learned to listen to the voice. That voice is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaking to you. The Holy Spirit, listen, the Holy Spirit's role in the Trinity is to elevate Jesus. That's what his role is. And in doing so, he makes Jesus known to people. And he works through Jesus' followers to bring the gospel to others. So that's how he's elevating Christ often, by, by working through the process of people coming to know him. So when, when he is actively working in someone's life, when they're responding to the activity of the Holy Spirit, he will often prompt a Christ follower to get involved. That's what happened with my friend. God was working in his life. And years later, I found out they had, all, they had Christian people praying for him. I'm like, so what was happening is God was working in their life. And I simply heard the voice of the Holy Spirit say, this is the one I'm working on. I want you to get involved. What God did is he invited me to join with him in his activity. That's what the voice of the Holy Spirit is all about. That's why it's so important to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. It's his activity that saves people. And he invites us to join with him into that activity. So that's why that still small voice that says, you know what, Mark, you should go call that person. You know what, Mark, you should go stop by that place again. That when you're going this way to get gas, and you go, you know what, I really should drive across town to go to the same gas station again. Because I just feel I should talk to the, to the lady behind the counter. I'm supposed to go in and get a cup of coffee. That feeling is the Holy Spirit. It's like the time Jesus was walking through a large crowd. And it says he's walking through the crowd and he sees a guy who's curled up in a tree. What was his name? Zacchaeus. And Jesus, in the whole crowd of people, sees Zacchaeus and he says, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to have lunch with you today. And the story goes, Zacchaeus, you know, receives Christ as Savior, is born again. So much so, it's so real that he says, I'll pay back all the people that I, that I ripped off. What happened that day is, is Jesus heard the Holy Spirit prompt him to pick out the person where he was actively engaged in working with him so that he could come to Christ. He's partnering with the Holy Spirit's activity. So listen when you hear that. If you want to be an effective harvester, you need to cultivate a daily relationship with God. You've got to go way beyond a Sunday, I come to church and I sing some songs, relationship. And as you abide with Jesus in a, daily, in a daily way, you will begin to understand those promptings are from him. And you, he'll be prompting you by his voice to connect to other people. 
And so as we stay connected to Jesus, we begin to understand that that still small voice is the voice of the Holy Spirit, and what he's prompting us to do is get engaged in what he's actively doing. So that voice that says, go back to that same restaurant and talk to that same waitress, isn't just something that popped into your mind. It's the Holy Spirit. We need to learn to listen to that and obey if we want to be engaged in the harvest. And I'll tell you this, it's going to make some change in your plans at times. It's going to cost you some extra energy and some extra money sometimes. Because you say, we really won't plan on going out to eat. Now, don't use this as a way of saying, I don't want to cook. Oh, honey, God told me we should really go down to Red Lobster and eat. Because there's somebody there that's probably going to be wearing pants and, and a shirt. And we should go there. That, that's not really the way it works. Um, but the Holy Spirit will prompt you to connect with certain people. Now, that's the second tool. You need to keep moving here. The third tool. Because the third tool is the biggest one. It's going to take forever, a long time to talk about it. I'm going to go through quick. The next tool that I want to talk to you about will probably be the most freeing of all the tools once you, once you understand how, what it's about. Because it's going to free you up to not try to think of evangelism as some horrible thing that makes you do something that's outside of who you are. And it's, it's style. The third tool is style. I don't say this, your unique style. You see, people sometimes have the misconception that, that evangelism or bringing in the harvest is best done by some guy with a great big black Bible standing on a street corner debating theology with people who are arguing with him. And I look at that and I go, that's kind of scary to me. You know, and you say that's scary to you. Well, it is. Well, here's some really good news for all of us. God created you unique with a unique personal style. I'm a lot different than you guys are. Suzanne's different than me. We all have a different style. And he wants to use that style, who he made you to be, to reach people through that style for him. You know what? Um, I do not fit with a style that goes door to door and talks with strangers about their faith. Um, I'm very uncomfortable with it. I've done it many times in different settings. I'm very uncomfortable with it. Um, But maybe that's someone's style in here. Maybe you thrive on it. Um, My father loves to do that. He loves to debate. He loves to do it. And he finds some effectiveness in doing that. He loves it. But guess what? If that's your style, great. Go for it. I'm really happy just don't invite me to come with you, okay? Because I'm very uncomfortable with it. It's not my style. My style is much more relational. You know, I meet someone, I build a relationship around usually some kind of a neutral um, interest that we have, start talking about whatever, figure out what they like, and find the neutral, and make up an interest if I really don't have it maybe. Oh, yeah, I like that, you know, <laughs> um, you know. Um, and then as that relationship develops, I look for opportunities to share about Jesus. Now, this approach might not fit some of you. Many of you have a different style. The point is God created us all different. In Bill Hybels' book, has anybody ever read the book, Becoming a Contagious Christian? I think it's the best book on evangelism ever written personally. I think it's the best one ever. Um, he does a great job of explaining six evangelism styles that are used in the New Testament. And I'm going to really quickly go through the six styles. just going to mention what they are. Here's why I'm going through them with with them. I'm explaining them to you. Um, And and we're going to be doing some training coming up where we're actually going to go through this in more depth, not on a Sunday morning. Go through the training in more depth. But 
for now, I want to mention them. Here's why. I want you to say, oh, that kind of looks like me. And so you can understand that your style can be used in a unique way. And you begin to engage that style. You begin at minimum, begin to ask God, show me my style. So you'll know, I know my style. So I function this way. Now, I have a merger of a couple of them but I, of that but Heibels has, but I know how my style works, and I've seen it work effectively, so I stick with it. It works. So looking for your style. So six evangelism approaches or styles. The first one is this, Peter's direct approach. Peter was a ready, fire, aim kind of guy. You know, not ready, aim, fire. Ready, fire, aim, kind of impulsive. Um, uh, if he was convinced that he was right, there was no stopping him. He was confident, he was bold, and he was right to the point. He'd just go right to a person and say, what's going on with you? Tell him the truth. That's why God used him as the main speaker on the day of Pentecost. He boldly proclaimed the truth regardless of what others thought. For some of you, this is your style. It's not hard for you to look someone straight in the eye and ask them um, where they stand on spiritual matters and then have a conversation with them about their spiritual matters, and you have enough, enough um, education and gift things that you can explain to them and draw them towards the truth. If that's you, I'd say this, great, that's awesome. God needs people like you. He needed Peter. Some people will only respond to this type of an approach. And I've used this approach at times, even though it's not my natural approach, but I've used this at times. I would just say this, a warning. The only one I'll give you a warning in. Do it in love. If you're, if you're a confrontational person, do it in love. Understand this. Because it's not about winning. That was what I, when I was a brand new believer, and I think your styles can change in time, this was my primor, primary style. And I, that's what I thought. It was about winning. I've got to prove to them that I'm right and they're wrong. Well, that didn't do very good. I maybe felt like I won, but, but they lost. And who won? No one in that situation. So I just say you do it in love. It's not about winning. It's always about harvest. It's about helping other people come to terms with the most important issue in the world. And so do it in love. The second approach is this. Paul, the Apostle Paul's intellectual approach. Paul stood on Mars Hill and wove together a beautiful intellectual argument for why they needed to worship the one true God and why they were worshiping false gods. He did his masterful argument point and counterpoint, talking about weaving this thing together to show them intellectually why what he was saying was right. Perhaps you're a brainiac and you're like Paul and you have a bent for intellectually discussing matters of faith and helping people see how really sensible it is and logical it is to become a Christian, a follower of Christ. If that's you, read the right books, get the right equipping, and go ahead and talk to people intellectually. Show them why creation is that you're not an intellectual buffoon when you believe in creationism. Some of you, that's your, that's your bent. Fill yourself up with it, but use it for the right purposes then in a way to simply help somebody like the Apostle Paul intellectually help them come to terms with the fact that there's one true God. Number three is the blind man's testimonial approach. In John chapter 9, Jesus healed a blind man who as soon as he healed them, no sooner had he been healed, that he was brought before the religious leaders and questioned about what had just happened to him. What happened to you? Who did it? Because they did it on the Sabbath and they were mad. And this guy didn't get into some theological debate. He didn't start saying, well, the, the Bible says, or he would have said, you know, the Torah says. He wouldn't start doing that. Instead, he just told them about his experience. And this is what he said. I love his line. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. He goes, I don't know about the rest of it. But what I know is I met this guy named Jesus, and I was blind before, 
but now I see. He just told others what Jesus had done in his own life, and he welcomed people to encounter Jesus for themselves. Maybe that's you. You love to tell your story. Do it. i got a friend named Dan. This is Dan's approach. Everywhere Dan goes, he starts telling people about his crazy past and how Jesus saved him. Some of you know Dan. Um, how Jesus saved him and uh, how he was sentenced 20 years. He was going to, supposed to go to jail and then God redeemed him. And he just tells everybody who's not a believer about his story. You know what? If that's you, tell your story. And it doesn't mean you have to have a great story. Everyone has a great story if Jesus changed their life. And so you just tell them your story. Number four is Matthew's interpersonal approach. In Luke chapter 5, it says that, that this hated tax collector, Matthew, um, had been wonderfully redeemed by Jesus, and he wanted to see a harvest among his friends who were a bunch of um, really reprobates. So he gathers all these sinners together, and he invites Jesus, and we call it a Matthew party. He has all his unsaved friends come, and he brings Jesus, the Messiah, right in the middle of the party, and he relies on the relationship he has built with these other sinners over all the years to influence them for Christ, and he brings Jesus in the midst, and, uh, and he begins to let them interact. This is my primary style. You make friends, and you try to let them see Jesus in you first, and then you begin to, as doors open, and here's the deal, you've got to push the doors open. They never open on their own. You've got to be pushing all the time, very gently pushing, 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 looking for opportunities, knowing that the primary reason you're in relationship is for their soul, for their sake, not for your sake, for their sake. That's why you're in the relationship. And then you look for opportunities to share the gospel. The last one is this, the Samaritan woman's invitational approach. And this is one every person you all say, oh, that's me. Now, don't all say, this is me, because in this room, there should be all of these. But the Samaritan woman's invitational approach. This is the woman at the well that we looked at last week. We spent the whole week looking at her story. Do you remember how she influenced the people for the harvest? Remember what she did? As soon as she met Jesus, what did she do? She ran back home to all of her friends, and she said, come and see this guy. Is it possible he's the one? Could he really be the Messiah? She was an inviter. She brought lost people to church. That's what she did. She said, you know what? I know this. I can invite that person to church. Now, you up in a merger, when you're dealing with my friend I talked about, there was a time that I brought him to church. I never led him to Christ at a coffee shop. Matter of fact, most people that I've seen to come to Christ that I've built relationships with, I've not led to Christ in a coffee shop or at a dinner table. I've seen them come to church and get saved. Almost all of them. And so it's an invitational approach. Maybe that's your style. God wants you to load up your minivan with all of your neighbors and bring them to church. He wants you to get all the neighborhood kids on Wednesday night and bring them to church. He wants you to bring up all your neighbors and all your, all your card buddies and invite them to church. You know what? I'll tell you. If that's you, get some gas in your tank. Get fueled up and get driving and bring them. Every single week there ought to be people in our congregation sitting that when I give an opportunity for people to know Christ, that they don't know him yet. Every week. You know how that happens? Through inviters. The simple Samaritan woman's invitational approach. If that's you, gas up your tank and start bringing people with you. Invite them. Take them out to lunch afterwards. People will do a lot for free lunch. The last one. Tabitha's service approach. In Acts 9, we're almost done. In Acts 9, 
I knew it was a long message. I actually hacked whole pages of my sermon out, crossed through them because it was so long. Trying to, but I trying to do this one, one from one story. In Acts 9, it tells a story of a woman named Tabitha, also known as Dorcas. And it says she was, quote, always doing good and helping the poor. She was well known for her loving acts of service, which she did in the name of Jesus. People with this style find it easy to serve others. Um, they, they see needs and they love to meet those needs. Friends, if that's you, serve passionately. And here's the key. Let people know that you do it as an expression of Jesus' love towards them. We used to be part of a ministry in the UP, um, and it would always say this, remember, um, God loves you and so do I. That was a saying you said all the time. It's called Emmaus Walk. Remember, God loves you and so do I. And that's why you serve. So whenever I serve somebody, I don't just serve them to serve them. I always say, and remember, I do this because God loves you. I tell them that. God loves you. That's why I'm doing it. And I don't have to go any further than that at times because they'll resist. So you keep pushing the door open. So that's the service approach. One or a combination of these fit the style that Jesus created you to be. He he created you on purpose, uniquely, to harvest people that I can't reach because you're different and they're different. Friends, if we'll just take harvesting seriously and figure out who God made us to be and then utilize the style to reach those lost people, we will see a harvest brought in. It'll happen. Now, in two minutes, two minutes because it's one word, the last tool, and I know we're pounding through this, the last tool is this, it's time. The reason that I told you this story about my Cub Scout friend instead of picking out some other stories that had some of these same elements in it is because that story I spent over four years building a relationship that at many times I thought was going to go nowhere. Matter of fact, at times push, they pushed back so hard that I, they, I almost felt like they didn't like us when bring up any issue of faith. And so it was, it was at times very tense. But it took four years for that to happen. And in my experience... I have found that to be the norm. It usually takes many years. It often takes that long to to help somebody process coming to know Jesus. You need to know that starting out in a relationship. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. But But I'll tell you, it's a marathon that if you will run the race, you will receive a prize at the end that's the greatest prize you've ever received in your entire life. You'll have this sense that I got to be part, a key player, in seeing somebody come to know Jesus. Friends, this is what Jesus said, our key verse, our theme verse. He said, church, it's harvest time. He said, you know what? The fields are ripe for harvest. And here's my question, my final question to you. Who will the Holy Spirit, or who already has the Holy Spirit, prompt you to connect with this week for the long haul in order to help them come to experience salvation in Jesus. Who's that person? I'd say this, only God knows. There was a time in the story, person I told you in the story, that I would have thought, eh, ain't going to happen. But I felt God say, keep going. Only God knows. And I'd just say this, jump in with both feet. Get involved in the harvest. Jesus said, look up. The fields are white. What he's saying is, to look up, you've got to stop doing what you're doing. Do something different. Stop doing what you've always done. Look up and get involved in the harvest. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me this morning? Let's close in prayer this morning. Father.
thank you so much that you love lost people, all people, and that we are ones who have, we've been recipients of your love. We know all people are recipients of your love because you said you make it rain on the just and the unjust. That, Lord, all people are recipients of your love. But when we come to know you as Savior, we really get to experience it in a greater, in a greater way of, of knowing that you love us personally. You have a plan for our lives in this world and that we are now set on a course for eternity with you. That destruction and damnation are no longer in our future. And Lord, I would ask that for every one of us, Lord, in this coming week, next week in particular, God, I pray for this church family, that as next week we talk about the message that we use. And we actually give tools for how to share the gospel, ways to communicate it, what is the real gospel message, that God, what happened is that message would be so burned into our hearts we'd experience it and feel it because of your love to such a dimension that, God, all that would be happening in our lives is we'd be an overflow of your goodness. So fill us up with the reality, the truth of your love for us and, the, and what it really means to be, to be children of God. The joy of having sins forgiven. Father, this week, I ask you to speak loud and clear. Some of us aren't used to listening. But Lord, we're open. We want to be trained. Let us hear loud and clear your voice. So that God, we can be used of you to bring people into the harvest. Lord, and I pray this. I know that a lot of times it takes years, but sometimes it takes one encounter. I pray we'd have some of those encounters that are quick. Maybe some have been prepared already. You said you're sending us into the harvest. And John, the story we read about the lady in the well, that you're sending us into the harvest, that other people have already been working in the harvest, and you sent us to reap. There are probably people in our very workplace that you've been working in them so long that simply an invitation would be the thing that would bring them to faith. One conversation might be it. Lord, lead us to those. Help us to hear your voice this week. 